A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have Dr. Wayne Visser with us. Wayne is an expert in corporate social responsibility, a prolific author with over 41 books, and uh, current book, Thriving, the Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society, and the Economy, a topic we haven't talked about yet on our show. Welcome, uh, welcome, Wayne. Hi, and thanks. Great to be with you. So this this topic of, of corporate social responsibility, fairly new here in the United States. Um, it's it's something that the companies are starting to get their arms wrapped around. We've talked sustainability for for a few years, you know, in the greater scheme, scheme of things. Um, and these topics are being coming very, very important to us. You are, you know, globally recognized as one of the, the top experts in this field. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to our conversation to talk about what it is and what we can do about it. Before we get into that conversation, though, you know, we always start with a little bit of your story. You know, how, how does one become an expert in this particular field? And, and I think you've got a particularly good story, uh, given the different places you've lived and, and the exposure and what has brought you to this topic. So I wondered if you could share that story with our audience. Sure. It's, it's been a journey, really. And I must say, uh, when I set out to, to study business in Cape Town in South Africa, um, I was already somebody who spent a lot of time in nature. I was with the Boy Scouts, and um, I was really interested already in uh, issues of ethics and environment and social responsibility. But it was really in the air because I was doing my business degree in the lead up to the original Rio Earth Summit, which took place in 1992. And I got involved in a student organization called ISEC, which is an economics and commerce students organization, international. It was actually set up after the Second World War to bring uh, nations together uh, by having an international exchange program. And um, they started to organize uh, conferences. And so I ended up uh, representing South Africa at an international conference in Japan uh, on sustainable development. And that was uh, to be the youth voice input to the Rio Earth Summit, which uh, ended up being the largest gathering of heads of state uh, then and since. And uh, so it became part of my um, my interest. And then I, uh, you know, I took a few uh, detours. I, I got into consulting uh, with Capgemini as a strategy analyst, but I was really impatient to to um, tackle these issues head on and see whether business was really part of the problem or could be part of the solution. Uh, I was perhaps a bit ahead of the game. Uh, certainly at that stage, uh, Capgemini didn't see it as uh, strategic enough, as a big enough market. And so I left and I specialized, um, studied in Edinburgh and, uh, you know, went back and started KPMG's sustainability services in South Africa and ran that for a number of years. Um, and then just uh, continued to evolve uh, that that journey, got involved with Cambridge University with their Institute for Sustainability Leadership, 
where I still uh, am a fellow and run their uh, business sustainability management course. And so, you know, I ended up just making this my career. When I started out, I don't think it was a career. I don't think that option was available, but very quickly it emerged. And I'm just very fortunate. It's taken me to 77 countries now, and, and it really is a thriving career but a thriving field as well a whole profession now and it's moving incredibly fast it's really exciting yeah it's it's it really is growing and growing fast and i i think our younger people today are becoming you know much more aware at a younger age of what's going on with our world and looking at trying to maintain the world uh, make it a better place, if you will. Um, we talk in terms of corporate social responsibility, and, and term you utilize quite a bit is, is sustainability. How interchangeable are those terms? And I wonder if you could take a little bit of time and define them for us. Yeah, they, they come from different roots. And so when you uh, say that uh, corporate social responsibility is uh, still somewhat new uh, in the U.S., I I smile a little bit because in one sense, that's true. I mean, there are still companies that are getting to grips with it. In another sense, it goes back to the 1870s with people like Rockefeller and uh, Carnegie and so on, really engaging from a philanthropic point of view and starting to figure out that, um, you know, it's uh, it's an expectation that if you're going to be a successful business, you have to give something back. I always kind of trick my students by asking them about a fortune magazine survey that was done in 1948 of course then it was uh, executives from the united states reading fortune magazine and they asked whether a company should spend um, money on social responsibility even if it didn't make them any more profits and of course my skeptical students all come in with very low figures on that and in fact the answer is 97 percent of companies believed in 1948 that that was a, a good expectation to have of them so uh, you know the social responsibility movement came out of those philanthropic groups it's a little bit of a legacy there and so some especially in developing countries these days still treat it that way but in fact even that uh, has evolved and there is an international standard for example iso 26000 which you know, defines what it is today. And there are seven core subjects and those subjects are things like human rights, environment, labor rights, uh, um, you know, ethics, transparency. These are virtually indistinguishable from what we would today call sustainability. Sure. Sustainability had different roots. It came more uh, um, out of the environmental movement, uh, which we could say probably really kicked off in the 1970s, of course, going further back with uh, the great uh, parks that were established also in the 18, uh, 1800s. But, um, you know, the United Nations really got hold of this concept and coined it in 1987, uh, sustainable development, which is development that meets the needs of the current generation without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So that's been the standard definition. Business struggled to get their heads around that until it was uh, simplified in a way. John Elkington, a good friend and colleague uh, um, in 1994, uh, coined the triple bottom line. He said, this is about social, environmental and economic performance. So people, planet, profit. And suddenly it was like popping a pill and and 
business sort of woke up to what this could mean. And it's been evolving since then. And I think those two have come together. Different companies use different labels. I would say CSR feels a bit more dated now. Mm-hmm. Sustainability a bit more current since we now have the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, 17 of them to meet by 2030. Um, but even new concepts, I would say, are challenging uh, sustainability. So uh, the idea of regeneration, which really goes beyond just sustaining something or net positive as a uh, former CEO, Paul Pullman uh, of Unilever calls it, uh, or what I call it thriving. So I think it's an evolving concept all the time, but at the end of the day, it's, it is about what is the impact you're making on society and on the environment and is the world a better place for you having existed, uh, you as a person or you as a company? And uh, most companies, if we're truthful, if we look at the facts, which we have far more at our fingertips today, um, can't truly say that the world is a better place for them having existed. Uh, typically, they create economic and social value, but at the expense of uh, environmental value. So they're destroying the planet in order to meet our human needs, which uh, can only work for so long and then it stops working. Yeah. There is, there is that point where it gets, uh, gets more destructive than good. I mean, I was remembering a, um, I I was watching one of the shows on discovery networks or, or whatever, and they were highlighting a, um, gosh, I wish I could remember the city in India, but it's kind of, it's, it's one of the most polluted places on earth and it's where they bring all these old ships to be dismantled and the pollution they create the remnants of that pollution could be found pretty much anywhere in the planet because it, it gets carried through the air and we're breathing that stuff uh, we're you know we're exposing our plants our food sources all these things to that level of, of pollution and yet it's a i mean what do you do about all these old broken down ships that need something they need to recycle this metal i mean how does how does it get handled and when you look at some of these um you know it's hard to call india a third world country anymore because of all the things they've done but you look at some of these places it's as though they don't really care i mean the lifespan of the workers that go work this place it's like four years and then they have lung cancer it's it's unbelievable yeah yeah it's it's a challenge all around the world, to be honest. And sometimes we have to be careful as well, because most of the impact that we see in countries like India or China um, is in order to produce products for us in the West. It's because we have high consumption, high energy and rather polluting lifestyles. And, uh, you know, in order to, uh, to meet those needs, um, we're, we're over, producing and over-consuming in very dirty ways. I mean, we've gone through an industrial revolution that uh, has, you know, raised the quality of life in many parts of the world, but we need another industrial revolution because this one isn't working anymore. Now the the downside, the costs of economic growth um, to human health, uh, to, you know, uh, justice and fairness, inequality, which is going up all around the world and, and to, you know, climate and, and the environment to nature, uh, the costs are starting to outweigh the benefits. And, uh, so we really do need to rethink 
capitalism as a whole, to be honest, and there is a lot going on around that uh, World Economic Forum talking about stakeholder capitalism. You know, that's a whole uh, a new way of looking at it. It can't just be about making money anymore. So we have to think about whether business in particular and economies more generally are extractive um, uh, and linear. So just take make waste or whether they start to be regenerative and circular. So literally where, you know, everything uh, becomes an input of food for something else. And uh, that's the direction we're headed in. And lots of innovation happening there, which again, very exciting. Yeah. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive though. You know, capitalism can exist in a regenerative society. Can it not? Oh, sure. Yeah. It is just a case of reforming capitalism. I think, there are versions of capitalism which have shown um, to be wanting, and that's kind of uh, shareholder-driven, short-term, extractive capitalism. And there are other ways to do it. There are other models. Uh, I mentioned stakeholder capitalism, the idea that you're not only serving one uh party or one interest and uh, namely shareholders but also others like employees and communities and uh, suppliers and so on and uh, you know there are different experiments all around the world different versions of capitalism so we we need the markets absolutely uh, we we need growth in new areas but we also need some of the old legacy uh, models approaches and industries to uh, to fade away and uh, you know, we need to replace them with something better. What would be some examples of those? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the elephant in the room right now, of course, as far as uh, the extractive and polluting and uh, damaging industries are concerned are, are fossil fuel industries. Uh, that's, that's the obvious one. They're the main cause the source of climate change because our whole economy is still largely based on fossil fuels and unfortunately they've got a bad track record of resisting change uh, as many companies do as tobacco has done as well for many years uh, despite it killing eight million people a year so you know i think uh, if you contrast something like the fossil fuel industry with the what we sometimes call the clean tech industry uh, especially clean energy renewables and so on that's where the growth is you know it's interesting now uh, the tesla's become a trillion dollar company one of only six trillion dollar companies in the world and its core mission is sustainability it's its mission is to speed the transition to uh, sustainable energy and uh, it makes less than 1% of the world's cars, but it's valued at more than all the other automakers in the world. That's the new kind of capitalism we're talking about that values the right things. Yeah, and it can, I mean, for those who are concerned about their profits, it can certainly translate to a much, much greater profit flow if done right. I think Elon Musk is a, is a great example of somebody who's figured, it, figured out both sides of the equation. Exactly. And we get other leaders, you know, Unilever for for many years has been a, a trailblazer here under their former CEO, Paul Pullman. They, um, you know, they really went big on sustainability. They came up with a strategy called the Sustainable Living Plan. This wasn't their 
their sustainability strategy was their corporate strategy. And it was very ambitious, a 10-year plan to double in size while halving in their environmental footprint, helping a billion people out of poverty and certifying 100% of their agricultural products sustainable. Uh, that's a lot to do in 10 years. And uh, the the result was that um, firstly, the more sustainably oriented brands, the ones that were actually solving that, uh, grew faster and is where the uh, company has been growing. And uh, in the end, you know, the, the shareholders uh, over that 10-year period got a huge uh, return on their investments. So as you say, these things are not mutually exclusive. You can prosper by investing in the right things, but you have to be in it for the long term. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a long term play. We are up on our first break. So we're going to just take a couple minutes and we'll be back in um, in just a few with Dr. Wayne Visser. It's time to transform your business with the help of the execution culture co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster and stronger with real world advice on culture leadership and execution the execution culture available now on amazon this is transformative experts with chris elias if you have a question or a comment about the show please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com now back to transformative experts and we're back with Dr. Wayne Visser. So Wayne, before we went to the break, I mean, you were sharing certain examples of, of things that, that need to occur. Some of the things that companies have done, Unilever, a great example, one of the largest companies in the world. And yet they maintained some tremendous profitability while implementing, you know, positive change for sustainability. Um, the word change comes up quite a bit and change is hard. We know even in the smallest microcosms in business, trying to create change, you know, getting people to change their habits is hard. We are a consumptive society, especially here in the U.S. We like our stuff, right? And change requires different thinking all the way around. In the the idea and concept of creating, a, you know, change on sustainability, regenerative change, as, as we've been talking about it, this has got to be a really, really difficult topic. How, and how do we, you know, how do we make that change happen? Yeah, it's a complex problem and uh, a massive transformation that we will have to go through. And it helps to understand how complex living systems work. Uh, there's been a whole science emerging over the past few decades uh, that really has studied, especially nature, but also society, and looking at what is it that makes it thrive. And so what I've tried to do in the book Thriving is, is distill some of that science to understand how we are doing and what we need to do to make this huge change. Now, let me just preface it by saying there are six great transitions that we have to go through as a society if we're going to get anywhere close to sustainability uh, and hopefully on onward to, to thriving. And these are changes in nature, society, and the economy. In nature, we have to go from degradation of ecosystems and depletion of resources to restoration of ecosystems and renewal of resources. Uh, in society, we have to go from disparity, inequality, in other words, which has been going up all around the world, um, 
to a more responsible economy that is inclusive and diverse. And we have to go from disease, where in fact uh, non-communicable diseases, despite COVID and and other pandemics and so on, it's 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 things like uh, heart attacks and cancers and. Uh, diabetes that are killing us more and more. So we have to go from a state of disease to revitalization, to really a state of health and well-being. And then uh, in the economic sphere, we have to look at our technology and go from disconnection because, in fact, there is a digital divide in the world that is amplifying inequality. So not everybody has access to technology. And as uh, we go through the fourth industrial revolution with all the new um, you know, 5G and and artificial intelligence and big data and all of that, the gap just gets wider. So we have to go to a rewiring of technology so that everybody can benefit from it and that the technology is bringing the solutions, not causing the problems. Also, there's a disconnection here where uh, where we start to be replaced by machines, right? Automation. So humans get dis- disconnected and we have to look at that. We have to prepare for that and adapt. And the final piece is uh, uh, we we have to deal with disruption. The pandemic is uh, one example, but climate change is going to be a much bigger disruption. And, and there are others, uh, whether it's industrial accidents or financial crises. So uh, we have to move from a state of disruption to resilience. We have to know how to minimize the risk and then to be able to survive and to bounce back when we have these big shocks to the system. It's the combination of these six transitions that will get us to a state of sustainability and thriving. And then the question is, wow, that's a big task. How do you do it? And that's where understanding the science really helps. It's, you know, as I listen to you and, you know, we talk about these things, uh, you know, certainly you and I both know the naysayers out there and change becomes harder. You know, in any change, you know, you see people who are anti-change, anti, you know, the, 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 again, I'll say the naysayers. Um, Climate change is one of those. There are people who believe it and people who don't. Um, you know, look what's going on with COVID. You've got people who believe that vaccinations are important. You've got people who don't. Science is science, yet we have this kind of structure of belief to get beyond. How do you make that happen? Yeah, belief is one of the most uh, difficult things to change, right, especially when it's in the form of ideology, uh, which it often is uh, these days. But let me say that we don't have to be convinced by the science in order for the science to work. So the science is just an understanding of how change really happens and change will always happen whether we like it or not. Um, I was fortunate enough to live through the transition in South Africa from apartheid racist system to democracy. And uh, what we had was 40 years of resistance by the ruling uh, white minority government. Um, you know, violent resistance. And uh, then when the change really started to happen, when we reached what we call a tipping point, uh, it happened extremely fast. Within five years, the whole system flipped. And then you could never find anyone in South Africa anymore who had ever supported apartheid because suddenly the norm had changed. So this starts to give some clues into how complex systems change. It's not a linear change. It never is. It's not incremental. What you get is things building up in the system, pressures, 
uh, and then you reach uh, this uh, this inflection point and uh, then the acceleration happens very fast we call that uh, you know an exponential change um, and it's as a result of in in scientific terms what we call positive feedback loops this means that things reinforce one another and so you know there are some things happening in the world where that's um happening in a in a negative way we see on climate change some negative reinforcing loops uh, things that are going wrong but we also see in society some positive reinforcing loops where um we're actually for example the confluence of um societal norms which are changing if you look at uh, you know the climate strike movement if you look at the black lives matter movement you look at extinction rebellion all kinds of things are really putting pressure on current leaders and uh, current institutions that's coming together with breakthroughs in technology you look at what's happening on renewable energy combined with batteries combined with artificial intelligence big data all you know pushing us rapidly in a certain direction combined with again market opportunity the fact that you know there you can become a trillion dollar company uh, by solving some of these big problems you know combined uh, with policy change and there are real policy reforms going on all of these are reinforcing one another in the right direction which means the change starts to 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 accelerate so that's one of the principles of system science so that's especially the principle of um, convergence which i've been talking about and there are five other principles we could uh, get into a little bit yeah maybe maybe we will in just a minute i had a couple of questions that came up you know as i consider what you're saying you know, it, we have an old saying that change doesn't happen until the pain on the inside matches the pain on the outside, right? It's, it's, and you can see a lot of examples, you know, whether it's, it's somebody who's got an addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, you know, the old story is until they hit rock bottom, will they really, really change? They have to hit that point in their life where something major has to happen. Um, and I believe that as a society, it's amazing how fast we can move when the pain is felt. And I think one of the great examples is what's going on with, um, with well, let's, let's talk about energy with electric vehicles, right? Um, it was really just a few years ago that, that, that car companies were almost reluctantly putting, you know, some type of hybrid on the market. And, and they did it because there was a, a, a mileage standard that had to be hit that was imposed by a lot of governments. Tesla comes on the scene and they disrupt, okay? And we can talk whether or not it's a good vehicle, bad vehicle, any of that kind of stuff from a vehicle. Yet, look at how many companies are now putting out all electric vehicles. And I remember I was, you know, originally from Detroit. I've got a lot of friends in the automotive industry, and I, I, won't, I won't name names to protect um, the innocent in this case. But a number of years ago, um, I was having a conversation with somebody who was an engineer who was working on the, let's call it the electric vehicle side of things. And this was again, even before hybrids were much of a thing. And I, and I asked him and he said, you know, he said, we're not really far away from being able to do this, said, but there's no momentum towards it. Right now, fossil fuels are too easy. And he said, it won't be until the costs get up high enough that all of a sudden people will be interested. He said, but the truth is we got the science. We can make it happen. We could probably make it happen pretty quickly. And I think yeah. that that does reinforce um, what you're saying. Yeah, I think the pain is one thing, and certainly, you know, the impacts we've seen on uh, from climate change recently in recent years, the fires, the floods, all of that uh, is pain that people start to feel and start to see, and translates, by the way, into massive costs for governments and for communities and people. 
Um, but it's also that upside, that opportunity side, and uh, you're having some leaders who really spot that, who can mm-hmm. see the uh, the trends. Um, you know, if you take uh, the EVs example, right? Uh, yes, Elon Musk, I think, uh, has been one of the pioneers, but uh, you know, somebody like Warren Buffett, uh, he uh, in 2008 invested uh, in a Chinese electric vehicle company called BYD. Um, and uh, it was a $230 million investment. And today is worth $4.5 billion, that investment, a 19-fold increase. So there are people who can can see these trends and anticipate the convergence that happens. Um, something similar is happening with, with renewable energy. You know, uh, the first solar panels were actually uh, invented in the late 1800s, so they're not new, (laughs) much like the electric vehicle, by the way, which competed with Henry Ford's uh, uh, internal combustion engines, so not new. Mm -hmm. But what changes are the conditions, and the uh, um, in this case, you know, the, the innovation that happened in renewables and especially China getting into the game really plummeted the costs so since 1970 costs are down 99 percent in the last uh, 10 years down more than 80 percent something similar is happening with batteries and so suddenly it does become cost competitive Uh, renewables are actually the cheapest form of electricity new electricity uh, in almost every country in the world now cheaper than gas cheaper than oil, coal, uh, nuclear. So then it starts to scale. Now, something similar is happening with EVs, of course, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the prices are coming down, the competition is going up, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip much, much quicker than people think. But a key um, to that being true is that sustainability has to be better it can't be the compromise. It can't be the thing that you drag people into kicking and screaming and making them feel guilty and, and saying they have to sacrifice all kinds of things, right? The reason Tesla has done so well, and I, I was an early adopter, is simply because it performs better than any other car, not any other electric car, any other car. And the consumer surveys are all uh, and the safety surveys all, all um, bear that out. So you've got to make a superior product or offering um, that is also more sustainable and that's one of the tricks i think uh, also not to believe that you can you know um, bushwhack or or browbeat people into to change you you have to they have to feel the pain but they need something to believe in they need to believe that they're moving to something better yeah yeah and i, I think that that's it's just an opinion. I think that's hard right now. And and I think it's hard to, 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 to find it because today it doesn't seem like there's much good news, right? I mean, we, we, we are, are caught in all the, the negativity and, and I'm not even talking about what's going on with COVID. I, you know, here in the United States, what's going on with politics is I, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. There's no, there's no talking anymore between the two sides. It's all pointing fingers. It's, it's blame. And, you know, I'm not choosing a side here. They're all bad. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, yeah. you know, and so when we think about the state of leadership and leadership needing to be able to drive some of this stuff, how do you, how do you get, do that when, um, when leaders won't even talk with one another? I mean, yeah. somewhere, something has to bring that together. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it also depends what you tune into, right? So just because this is the area I focus on, you know, I'm I hear a lot of the bad news and I see some of the facts and figures which are are frightening actually in terms of the way the world is going in some areas, but I also tune into the innovation that's happening and that's where the the optimism comes and then you start to see that people are realizing that collaboration and partnership is the only way we can solve these problems. They're what some people call wicked problems, or I call entangled problems. Yeah, You can't, one leader, one nation, and one company can't solve them on, on their own. So we do start to see more collaboration. Uh, it's hard to see through the fog of some of the political stalemates and, and mudslinging that goes on. But interestingly, even there, what we... What I would say is that in many, many countries, national politics is is just um, almost, you know, broken. Let's 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 use that uh, polite term. I mean, it just isn't working. But at the city level and sometimes at the regional level, we see an immense amount of movement. Yes. Uh, and so we saw that with the Paris Climate Agreement, even when Trump was you know, trying to pull out, uh, the cities of the US and around the world just said, no, we're still in and we're gonna, we're gonna just charge ahead. And many companies did the same. So you know, I think that we have to be careful what we tune into. Uh, because being positive is also um, a state of mind. It's it's not only the evidence. You know, I have a poem that starts, be an optimist, not because the future is bright, but because bright people are working to make the future better. Be an optimist, not because the news is good, but because good people are showing that change is always possible and so on. So, you know, I think it is, uh, it's an attitude that uh, we need right now. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I failed to mention that among all, all the other things you are also a poet so thank you for sharing that maybe we'll get another one in before the show's over we are up on our next break though and we need to step away for just a couple minutes so stay tuned everyone we'll be back in just a couple minutes is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like optimize your life your team and your organization through clarity purpose and action at Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Dr. Wayne Visser. So, um, Wayne, before the break, you mentioned that there are, you know, six keys to thriving. You know, and these come, obviously, you've highlighted them in this book, and we, we kind of talked about one a little while ago. I wonder if you would review some of the other ones with us. Yeah, exactly. These are scientific principles, really. They're the, the principles of systems, uh, living systems uh, in nature and society. It's basically how life works. 
And uh, we talked a bit about convergence, which is one of the principles. Convergence, uh, to summarize, is really just when you get that perfect storm where everything is reinforcing another thing and speeding up the transition or the uh, the change. But there are indeed five others. So uh, let me just mention them quickly. The, the second one is coherence. For every system, every living system to work, it needs a higher goal or a function. Uh, you know, at a biological level, that's often provided by DNA, but at a social level, that means having common goals. Now, we have the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. There are 17 of them. Uh, you know, that's one way where we get coherence, but also, you know, people just coalescing around movements. Uh, I mentioned Black Lives Matter, so social justice as a movement or climate as a movement. Uh, or regeneration in agriculture as a movement. These are important to create coherence. And what you find actually is uh, that when you've got that coherence, you don't need everyone to agree. So we're, we're used to thinking in political terms where we need to find a majority, but that's not how systems change. In fact, the science suggests that in a, in a crowd, you only need to get between 5 and 25% moving in a common direction to sway the rest of the crowd into that direction. And so that's the power of coherence. Uh, and those uh, uh, individuals don't even need to know or coordinate with the others. They just need to move in a common direction. The third one is uh, creativity. Of course, we know systems change because there's innovation. And creativity mainly comes from mixing, from diversity, from having different disciplines talking to each other, different parties, people who don't necessarily agree with one another or wouldn't normally talk to one another. And uh, this is where we've got to really challenge things like the politics, of course, but also social media, which tends to create an echo chamber and just reinforce what we already believe. So we need to be reaching across uh, the uh, uh, the aisle all the time um, in terms of uh, bringing creativity and innovation. Um, the fourth one is continuity. So one of the reasons we've got into the trouble we're in right now as a as a world is that we're very short term focused, whereas life is always about uh, preparing for the long term perpetuating, uh, whether that's through reproduction or just survival strategies. So moving our capitalism and our corporations uh, and our societies towards long-term goals, I think, is one of the, the keys uh, uh, to get right. And we do start to see it. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the climate goals are 2050, so they're, they're stretching a lot of people to think longer term. And then we've got uh, co um, um, complexity. So complexity is all about the interconnections um, between uh, all the parts. And so we're not very good normally as, uh, uh, as human beings on spotting the bigger picture and how everything is interconnected. So anything that we can do that draws the connections, what's the link between injustice and climate or between biodiversity loss and health, you know, these are all um, important, you know, uh, things to, to tease out. Um, so there we've got uh, five of them and uh, I will, uh, I'll reflect and just uh, think about what that sixth one is as well. So the last one in particular 
you know, you just used an example of, for instance, the difference between biodiversity and health. I don't know that people always connect all those dots and, and it is yeah. important. So, you know, how do we help educate people to, to think in these terms more? I mean, obviously we've got your book here and, you know, we've got a, you know, a bunch of listeners, maybe some of which will go out and buy the book. It's a good book. Um, and I think that there's a, a greater need for, for more education. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it is about education. Um, but what I found most useful is you've got to start with whatever the issue is that people care about. If people care about competitiveness or if people care about leadership or if people care about, uh, you know, poverty, whatever the issue is, just start there. And then you just start to make the links and you start to say, okay, so you're interested in, in uh, let's say, food security. Yeah? Not everyone has a, a meal on their table. Okay. Is there a link between that and climate change? Well, yes, there is because, you know, droughts and floods and fires are, are wiping out crops. Uh, is there a link between that and health? Well, yes, there is, you know, and so you just start building those uh, uh, those webs of, of interconnection. And I think uh, it, it's really important uh, to, to get people, you know, we, I, I had a, a a guest, uh, one of the great systems thinkers, American Peter Senge. He's mm -hmm. written a lot of management books. You probably recognize the name. And we had him come and speak to us about systems thinking, uh, where I've got uh, my professorship at Antwerp Management School. And one of the things he said stuck with me. He said, you know, systems thinking, which is what this uh, weaving uh, uh, of, of interrelationships is about, is actually about making the invisible visible. So we don't know where our products come from. We don't know what goes into our products, for example. So just start there. Whatever's in front of you, a mobile phone. Okay, how was that put together? What, what's actually in it? How, you know, how were the metals mined? Were they actually fueling a war in the Congo as a result of being mined there? You know, what about the plastic in there? Are there is that ending up in the ocean? So, you know, you tease it out. You take off this invisibility cloak that we have over our products. And ultimately, you get to that sixth principle, which uh, I've, I've just uh, recalled, which is circularity. And so that's really about um, knowing that for things to, to have a, uh, a good life, they need to... Um, constantly renew themselves so life works in cycles and i mentioned earlier we have an extractive linear system and we need to go to a circular system so every waste needs to become an input either to manufacturing again or simply to go back to nature to become food for for nature again yeah the the life cycles we we learned about it as kids and 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 um, school. There's so many different cycles that occur. Uh, one of the things that, that strikes me also is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, corporations, corporate responsibility, um, different things that need to be done on a larger scale. Let's distill it down to the individual level. Um, yeah. A lot of times people feel somewhat helpless. I mean, many, if not all of us have some cause that maybe we donate to or we do some different things. And what else, what else can we do to, you know, whatever, whatever your choice is for your movement, right? It's, you know, it's, we're not, we're not here preaching one or the other. We're just talking about where the world, you know, should go. And, and, you know, how does, how does one really make change happen when we feel like we're just such a small part of a bigger world that that's already in motion? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I often say to to people I'm working with or, or speaking to, don't try and change the world, but do try and change your world. Yeah, and, and that's really the secret is start with where you are. What is your sphere of influence? Well, you know, it's where you live. It's the fact that you probably have a family. Uh, you have connections to your local community, perhaps to your local politics or to your school um, or to your workplace. Uh, and, and then think about, you know, who who am I working for and can I influence uh, them? Am I working for the right company or, or workplace? Uh, you know, what have I got kids? Can I can I learn from them and can I teach them some things? So really, it, it is about um, figuring out what you can do. Now, to, to boil it down, you know, there are a couple of things that make a big difference, uh, especially when we're thinking about um, uh, some of our big challenges like climate change. So, you know, uh, how do you get your energy? Right. Uh, these days, it's it's actually very easy to request that your energy is 100% renewable. That's a big thing. Uh, how do you get around? You know, are you driving a fossil fuel car, petrol or gas car, uh, or are you using public transport or, or um, moving to an electric vehicle? Um, how are you um, eating? Are you eating local, fresh, uh, and uh, uh, food that's been grown from regenerative agriculture. Um, more importantly, even how much meat are you eating? Because uh, the meat industry has a massive impact on the, both the environment and uh, on, on climate. So just cutting down on meat consumption can be a, a big impact. Uh, so there's all of these things uh, that you can just make small changes depending on what your, your issue is. But I would say find something that you're passionate about uh, and then just sort of, uh, you know, dive into it and you'll figure out all of those connections. Yeah. You know, and remembering, I think that it is a long-term play, you know, a lot of little pieces and to your point of it takes 5% to 25%. Well, you know, 5%, that's not a big number. You know, if, if yeah. you, influ if you influence those that are around you, influence your kids, you know, um, this isn't the, the episode or the show to talk about how people raise their kids, obviously. But, um, you know, if you have a belief, your kids are going to have that same belief, right? Raise them properly yeah. and, and, and let them go out and find it and figure it out too. And as that multiplies, you, there's, there's momentum that comes into play. And, and that's, that's the, the joy really of complex global systems. I mean, the, and the more complex by complex, we mean the more interconnected they are the more likelihood that a small change that you make might accumulate and ripple through the system and may just be the thing that tips the whole, the whole system. We call that the butterfly effect. It goes down to chaos theory. Um, you know, the butterfly, you know, one part of the world flapping its wings and ca causing a, uh, a typhoon on the other part of the world. I mean, that's lit literally uh, it's a metaphor for what really happens is that all of these small changes, um, there's a great metaphor here as well, um, or, or let's say a, a lesson that we can learn from nature. If you look at uh, at termites, so you look at ants. Ants live in colonies; they're social insects, and uh, they have no leader. 
they, uh, they have a queen, but she just lays eggs. And yet they do extraordinarily complex things. They go out and forage for food. They defend the nest. They have a place where they put uh, the dead, a cemetery. They grow food underground, fungi underground. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they do all of these complex things. And one of the reasons why it works is because in complex systems like that, they just rely on local action and local information. They have very uh, simple signals, about 10 pheromone signals, and it all works. And so, you know, look around you, act local, and you'll find that it, it ripples through the system and ends up changing the whole system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got, um, we've really just got a couple of minutes left. You know, it always sounds um, a little doom and gloomy when we talk about these, these topics, right? Because we talk about what can happen if we don't. And you mentioned a couple of times that there's, there's also good news. I think that there is still a lot to be optimistic about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there's, there's just so much positive change going on. Technology is part of that, but also the way people are coming together in movements, uh, extremely exciting really. Um, And so, I think the more that we understand how change happens, the more it is possible to be uh, to be optimistic and to be hopeful. And as I said, that's a state of being, but there's great evidence for it because uh, you see everybody that's working on this, literally millions of people who are passionate about these issues and moving it all in the, in the direction that we want it to go. So, um, you know, I, I sometimes uh, end with some poetry, so maybe you'll indulge me on that uh, because there's a poem called Change the World, which I guess is what we've been talking about. Um, So, uh, you know, it says, let's change the world, let's shift it, let's shake it and remake it, let's rearrange the pieces, the patterns in the maze, the reasons for our days in ways that make it better, in shades that make it brighter, that make the burden lighter because it's shared, because we dared to dream and then to sweat it, to make our mark and not regret it. Let's plant a seed and humbly say, I changed the world today. Let's change the world. Let's lift it. Let's take it and awake it. Let's challenge every leader, the citadels of power, the prisoners in the tower. The hour of needs upon us. It's time to raise our voices, to stand up for our choices. Because it's right, because we fight for all that's just and fair, for a planet we can share. Let's join the cause and boldly say, we'll change the world today. Let's change the world. Let's love it. Let's hold it and unfold it. Let's redesign the future, the fate of earth and sky, the existential why. Let's fly to where there's hope, to where the world is greener, where air and water's cleaner, because it's smart to make us start to fix what we have broken, our children's wish unspoken. Let's be the ones who rise and say, we changed the world today. Outstanding. Well, thank you for being with us today, Wayne. Um, you know, for the listeners out there, Wayne um, Visser, Dr. Wayne Visser, the book is Thriving, The Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society, and the Economy. I'm assuming it's available on Amazon as well as all the other major platforms. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a great pleasure, and uh, thanks for the show. It's such an important topic. Excellent. Well, everyone, we've got some more great episodes coming up in upcoming weeks. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. 
Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.